Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, April 5th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Months after a deadly insurrection, major questions in the aftermath of another fatal attack on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol as we learn more about the suspect charged with that assault. Environmental concern in Florida, a large wastewater storage pond at risk of collapse near Tampa, threatening one of the state's major bodies of water. And a record weekend of vaccinations, more than 10% of the U.S. population now fully inoculated against COVID-19. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with new details about the man police say rammed his vehicle into a barricade at the U.S. Capitol on Friday, killing a police officer. His family says he suffered from depression and repeated head trauma from years of playing football. Edwin Piti has the latest details from outside the Capitol. Edwin. Andrea, the investigation is underway and we are learning more about the officer who was killed and an armed suspect who is dead. Officer William Billy Evans, an 18-year veteran of the Capitol Police, killed in the line of duty. During an incident that locked down the Capitol complex on Friday, officers responded to reports that a driver ramming a vehicle into two Capitol officers and a barricade here on Constitution Avenue, where we are right now. U.S. Capitol Police said the driver exited the car and pulled a knife. The suspect, who is dead, was identified by federal and local law enforcement as Noah Green. The suspect in Friday's attack on Capitol Police appears to have claimed on social media that the government was after him. In a post on Facebook less than two weeks ago, he praised the Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, calling him the Messiah. An Instagram page with posts and pictures also has been identified. In it, he claimed that the government targeted him with what he called mind control and that he suffered food poisoning, assault, house break-ins and unwanted medical operations in the hands of the government. His brother, who shared an apartment with him in Virginia, said the troubling sign his brother was experiencing built up the night before the attack. He added that his brother was hallucinating a lot lately to the point that he said that he was going to live his life and be homeless. These latest attacks pushing the U.S. Capitol Police further towards a crisis. The head of the Capitol Police Union said officers are reeling following the death of Officer Evans. Hundreds of them are even considering retirement or finding jobs elsewhere. We are reporting on Capitol Hill. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for those developing details and authorities are still trying to determine a motive for that attack. And joining us now to discuss security at the U.S. Capitol is retired Colonel Arnaldo Claudio. He's a member of the task force appointed by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to review security measures there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Colonel. Thank you much, Andrea. It's a pleasure to be here with you today and talk about such a sensitive and important uh, subject today in the United States. It is indeed. Now, let's begin with the following. What was your reaction to Friday's incident? Well, the, uh, this is not abnormal in places like the Washington, D.C. As you well know, the Washington, D.C. not only has a Capitol building, but also has a White House. It has a Pentagon. It has numerous uh, federal buildings all over. And these are target of uh, either terrorists or people like this lone wolf uh, 
not green. Uh, the important uh, piece of all of this is that, uh, you know, uh, the more that we learn about uh, uh, what occurred on, on this day, uh, the more we understand what are the needs of the uh, Capitol the Police. As you know, uh, we completed a very thorough, professional, uh, in detail evaluation of the Capitol Police under the leadership of General Russell Honore. And we look at many aspects of uh, what uh, the Capitol Police uh, brings to bear in terms of management, in terms of policy, in terms of protocol, in terms of resources. We look at everything to include the recruitment program uh, to see what are the gaps and the, ne uh, the necessities of the Capitol Police. And we found um, a vast majority of gaps uh, that we turn into the uh, Speaker Pelosi and the members uh, of Congress. And hopefully this, uh, they'll provide a $2 billion uh, supplemental to get things done. One of the major problems, obviously, is the uh, what I just heard, uh, the lack of police officer. Right now, there are 233 minus. That's a lot of police officers, so uh, such a great amount of work that they have at the Capitol. But we came even with even further, uh, we came up with 800 uh, more uh, police officers. But not only that, we look at uh, the perimeter security and even the Court of Engineers uh, help us out with this uh, to try to uh, put together what they call an advanced fencing, which comes out of the ground to help out the Capitol Police also in this. Right now, there's about 2,200 uh, National Guard officers there. Um, that is uh, way down from the 15,000 that we saw after the 1-6 and the inauguration. But regardless of that, um, there's a lot of work to do here, um, and there's a lot of training to be done. Um, and the most efficient thing that can Congress do right now is to prove that supplemental so we can move on and help the Capitol Police in, the, in what they need. As you know, the Capitol Police is the only police in Congress. Those are the guys and gals that are called to safeguard our, uh, our most precious, uh, uh, you know, seat of government, which is the Capitol. And uh, uh, the more we help them, the, the better they are. Colonel, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I would like to go into some specifics. Um, speaking of the officers themselves, and like you just noted, a lot of work still needs to be done. Now, because of these re recent incidents, the Capitol Police force could be facing a recruitment and even retention problem. What measures should be taken to prevent the possibility of something like this from happening again? Right, that, that is in our recommendations. Uh, one of the things that they did immediately, uh, they opt up the recruitment years to 40 years, and that is precisely to bring in veterans uh, coming out of the military, okay, which are a great recruitment. They also opt up their uh, age of retention to uh, 60 years, okay, uh, which helps them out in, the ret in retention. We also gave them some solid recommendations what to do uh, with their medical plans, with what to do with uh, the retention plan and other things. Unfortunately, COVID uh, put a drawback on this because uh, the academies that they had, okay, that they usually got about 190 officers uh, they bring in, the, um, you know, per academy. That's not happening right now. So they've got a lot of catching up to do. 
but the plan is there. Uh, we provided them uh, what to do. There's other requirements. For example, they need to go ahead and recruit planners, intelligence officers. They've got to upbeat their canine system, okay, which is uh, overwhelmed by the amount of working hours that they have. Uh, so it's a, it's a very hard road but not impossible. Uh, the other thing that they're facing is, you know, uh, there's a lot of police officers around the national capital region. You know, you've got Park Police, you've got Metropolitan Police, you've got Alexandria, so it's competing also. And the other piece is, you know, in order to recruit one guy, you gotta like bring in like 10 because there's a lot of requirements, uh, you know, background checks, psychological check and stuff like that. So it's gonna take a while but the good thing is they have a plan. It's the, the only reason that they, they, they will draw back from that if they don't implement the plan. So, and they need the money. I think uh, General Honoré has been very emphatic about that. If they don't get the money, they can't go anywhere. Uh, we've spoken to many people in Congress, but we talked precisely myself. I have some focus groups uh, with the officers there. Uh, and, and they love it. One particular guy says, listen, I've been eight years here and I adore every eight years of it. We just need help to implement these things and so we can move forward. And money is going to be the big thing here. They need to approve that funding, the big like thing, you said, in order to uh, move forward. And this is going to take some time. So let's just pray for the safety of all the congressional members there, everyone in D.C., and all those officers. We thank them for their wonderful work that they've been doing. Thank you so much for so much insight. Thank you, Andrea. And our, and our heart and prayers go out to the family of uh, Billy, uh, you know, Billy Evans and, and the family. So thank you for the opportunity, and God bless you and everybody else. Thank, thank you. Bye. You. The CDC now saying those vaccinated can travel with low risk as thousands of Americans take to the skies for Easter weekend. Meanwhile, cases growing and now a new mutation from India being reported in San Francisco. Lorraine Gassides has the latest on the pandemic. Vaccination numbers in the U.S. growing by the day. The CDC on Easter Sunday reporting 3.4 million doses were administered, 4 million shots in arms the day before, and 19% of the population now fully inoculated. We share the sentiments of Pope Francis, who has said that getting vaccinated is a moral obligation, one that can save your life and the lives of others. By getting vaccinated and encouraging your congregations and your communities to get vaccinated, we not only can beat this virus, we can also haste the day when we can celebrate the holidays together again. But infections are growing too. COVID cases up nearly 20% in the past two weeks. Michigan, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Delaware reporting the highest rates of infection. Meanwhile, a new variant first discovered in India has now been identified in the San Francisco area. This is the first time this particular double mutant has been found in the United States, and it was found here at our Stanford laboratory. Public health experts are hopeful the rapid rate of vaccinations will be enough to avoid a severe fourth wave. I don't think it's going to be a true fourth wave. I think we've probably um, delayed the point at which we can get this behind us for the summer, but we haven't forestalled that opportunity. I think with the rate of vaccination that we're uh, having right now, we're vaccinating, as you said, 4 million people a day. I think that's probably going to reach 5 million people a day. And the level of immunity that we already have in the population, we vaccinated more than 100 million Americans. We probably infected about 130 million Americans. So you have somewhere around 200 million Americans that have some level of immunity in them already. Meanwhile, Americans growing tired 
of the isolation taking to the skies. The TSA reporting it screened more than 1.5 million people at airports on Friday, marking the 23rd straight day when more than a million people have traveled by air. Delta resorting to filling middle seats before their intended date of May 1st in order to accommodate passengers after canceling a hundred flights due to pilot shortages. This as the CDC now says those who have been fully vaccinated can travel with low risk. This is not going to last forever because every day that you get 4 million, 3 million people vaccinated, you get closer and closer to control. And with the economy still reeling because of the pandemic, now some good news. About 25 million people will get a boost in their food stamp allocations this month. The Biden administration says it's part of an executive order adding a billion dollars to the program each month. It will go to recipients who were left out of an increase Congress approved last year. The Trump administration excluded these families, but they're some of the lowest income groups in the program. The coronavirus crisis has caused a hunger crisis in the U.S. with millions more people applying for food stamps. And now to a developing story near Tampa, Florida. Hundreds of families have been forced to evacuate their homes as authorities scrambled to prevent a leaking reservoir from collapsing, potentially unleashing a 20-foot wall of toxic water that would flood entire neighborhoods. Governor Ron DeSantis declaring a state of emergency as the National Guard steps in to help. More than 300 homes south of Tampa, Florida are under mandatory evacuation orders. The governor warning of the potential for catastrophic flooding if this leaking reservoir in the city of Palmetto collapses. We're currently pumping out 33 million gallons per day. These pumps will be fed into surrounding waterways in an effort to drain the reservoir uh, so we can better mitigate the effects should a full breach of the site occur. Part of the reservoir's retaining wall shifted laterally, which means total structural collapse is possible. If that were to happen, 600 million gallons of water could leave the retention pool in a matter of minutes. The National Guard stepping in to help, dropping massive water pumps to pump millions of gallons of polluted salt water out of the reservoir. The controlled release is, is working. We uh, believe that probably by Tuesday, we're going to be in a, a much better position and the, the risk level will have uh, decreased significantly. Authorities insist the water now being discharged into Tampa Bay is not radioactive, but residents do have concerns. We're average boaters and, and we fish and you don't want to see that being dumped out into your beautiful uh, bay. It's a scary situation. We just came off of a horrible year with COVID. Just when you kind of get things going again for something like this to turn the corner to, it's pretty disheartening. The Manatee County Sheriff's Office announcing that they were also moving 345 inmates of the nearby county jail to an undisclosed location in order to clear the ground floor of the facility in case of flooding. Meanwhile, according to USA Today Network, Piney Point has had issues in the past. In 2011, part of the Tampa Bay was flushed with nearly 170 million gallons of contaminated water from Piney Point after the plant was compromised during a Port Manatee dredging operation. So far, officials say the issues at Piney Point do not affect drinking water. The water distribution system is a closed system without any way for flood water to enter.
And for more on this developing story, let's go to Ed Sherwood. He's the executive director of the environmental group Tampa Bay Estuary Program. Thanks so much for being here today, Ed. Thank you for having me. Do we know more about what led to this leak? Well, the, there's a breach suspected in the liner that was containing all this processed water, seawater mix. And uh, about a week ago, there was a suspected um, hole in that liner that created an unmitigated discharge and uh, potentially affected the walls, basically damming up this water uh, in the surrounding community. What kinds of materials specifically are found in this pond? So far, they are saying there is no radioactive material. Our biggest concern right now is the amount of nutrients that are in the remaining processed water and seawater mix in the ponds. So that's being directly uh, discharged to the bay right now. Those nutrients are going to potentially stimulate algal or mackerel algal blooms in Tampa Bay proper. And that could have cascading ecosystem effects for the Bay for the next weeks or months to come. Now, as we just noted, we know this reservoir has had issues in the past. We noted the year 2011. Now, what entity or entities would be responsible for some of these problems? We also read about some issues with funding, that they wanted funding in order to avoid something like this from happening. Yeah, there's a private company, HRK Holdings, in charge of the site and officially closing down the facility. Uh, this event definitely precipitates the immediate closure of, of this site for sure. Um, again, this is probably going to be an unmitigated large discharge of that water into the bay uh, and the impacts of which aren't going to be um, seen for the next weeks or months ahead. So again, I think we're focused on a comprehensive monitoring response and assessment of what is going to happen and occur in Tampa Bay. And I'm hoping the state will hold the, the right people accountable. Are there other toxic ponds in Florida that could also pose a risk? Uh, phosphate mining is pretty typical in central Florida. So there are other uh, similar facilities scattered throughout the, uh, the region. So there, there are definitely other sites. Uh, this site has had lingering issues in terms of its permanent closure. Um, a number of companies that went bankrupt in the past leading up to these events. Now, we are certainly hoping that this situation can be brought under control rather quickly. Are there uh, any long-term plans to safely dispose of this water? So there's one leak and one holding area that has the most water. There's about 480 million gallons of water that they're anticipating draining from this stack. There's two other areas on the property that are also holding uh, more polluted process water. Uh, there's plans, at least I've heard, to bring in and additionally treat that water and completely offload the remaining burden of, of contaminated water on site and finally close this facility. That's our hopes from the Tampa Bay Estuaries Program's perspective. And we just want to make sure it's done safely over the next uh, week or two, because right now there's unmitigated discharge from these holding ponds into the bay. Let's just hope everyone stays safe. Thank you so much for your time, Ed Sherwood of the Tampa Bay Estuary Program. Take care. Thank you for having me. More of you news after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. You News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In Minneapolis, jurors have returned to the courtroom today to hear more testimony from witnesses in the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin, the defendant charged with George Floyd's murder. Last week, jurors heard from 19 people, including several who witnessed Floyd's death and broke down in tears on the stand as they described their attempts to intervene on his behalf. Several Minneapolis police officers, including Chauvin's supervisor at the time of Floyd's death, testified about what they saw at the scene after Floyd was arrest arrested, police training and the officer's use of force on Floyd. Chauvin is charged with second-degree murder, third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. As the U.S. continues to see an increase in the number of migrants arriving at the border with Mexico, Special Envoy for the Northern Triangle, Ricardo Zuniga, will travel to Guatemala and El Salvador for the next three days. According to the Department of State, Zuniga will lead discussions about the efforts to address the root causes of migration and irregular migration in, from, and through the region, along with humanitarian efforts to expand access to protection for those in need. And for some, so many migrants from the Northern Triangle nations, the journey through Mexico toward the U.S. border is a harrowing and dangerous experience. Kelia Tejada brings us some of their stories. The child was trembling and said, Mama, Mama, I'm drowning. The stories of several migrant women traveling through Mexico are chilling. By God's grace and mercy, we're alive. What these Honduran mothers experienced at the hands of human traffickers is like a horror movie. I thought it was a movie. We lived it and it's hard. They asked us to hide their identities out of fear of the coyotes. We met them alone, dozens of migrants who had just crossed through South Texas. For them, hell began in Puebla, Mexico. When we least expected it, we were cramped inside a trailer, almost 500 people in that trailer. The day that they left Puebla, there were three tractor trailers with four trailers full of migrants. One of them was a double trailer. They said the temperatures were freezing inside the containers. You could even see the ice outside the trailer. The trip seemed to last forever in those rolling ice boxes. We went almost 30 hours without eating. At the checkpoint, they had to cover their children's mouths. Yes, of course they knew that they were people who were inside. Once at the border by Tamaulipas, they were placed in a warehouse full of migrants. They were big warehouses with a lot of people of different nationalities. Everyone slept on the floor, almost on top of each other. And every day, more people arrived. Some go out, others come in. 20 go out, 30 come in. 30 go out, 20 come in. A huge amount of people. What you really come here to do is to give them the money to suffer. I don't advise to bring a child here. Reported by Pedro Ultreras in Peñita, Texas, Kelia Tejada, 
U News. And another immigration news, the popular legal research and data brokerage firm LexisNexis signed a nearly $17 million contract to sell information to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And that's according to documents shared with The Intercept. The deal is already drawing fire from critics and comes less than two years after the company downplayed its ties to ICE, claiming it was not working with them to build data infrastructure to assist their efforts. The LexisNexis ICE deal appears to be providing a replacement for CLEAR, a risk industry service operated by Thomson Reuters that has been crucial to ICE's deportation efforts. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.